following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, February 13, 2022, on the basis of Luke 6, verses 17 through 26. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. What makes a good life? For some cultures and traditions, when a child turns one, it's the opportunity to play a game known as the birthday grab. It works something like this. The parents take the child and set them down on the floor. In front of the child are set out several objects. For example, a book, maybe a dollar bill, a toy like a ball. The parents gesture and point for the child to go ahead and choose one of them. After some prodding and nudging, the child finally slowly crawls forward and extends a small hand to reach out and grab one. Whatever the child chooses is supposed to predict what they'll become someday. If they choose the book, well, they'll be smart, talented, well-educated, respected in their field. If they pick up the dollar bill, then wealth and financial success await. If they pick the toy, then a life of pleasure, of love and happiness are in the future. It's a cute little game. Of course, it doesn't tell us so much about what our children will be someday as it does about what we as people value. Wealth, happiness, joy, family, love. If our children could have lives like these as parents, we would be overjoyed. And if we could have these lives for ourselves, well, we would call it a good life, a blessed life, a wonderful life. And you might notice what's not in the birthday grab. There are no options for a life of poverty, for a life of sadness and tragedy, for an unsatisfying career. Because those are the things that this world calls cursed. We desperately try to avoid these things like the plague. They are marks of a sad and terrible life. But today, we see Jesus flip it all on its head. He says it's the poor, the hungry, the hated who will be blessed. And it's the people that the world loves, the rich, the successful, the famous, who he calls cursed. And at first, it sounds strange to our ears. But today, Jesus is going to show us what it really means to be blessed. We find Jesus today at the beginning of his ministry. He had begun healing and teaching and gathering his followers. And after all of this, Jesus went up a mountain to spend the night in prayer. The next day, Jesus woke up and he gathered his disciples and out of, his, all, out of all of his followers, he chose 12 of them to be his personal students, his personal disciples. As Jesus and his followers descended down the mountain, they saw that a large crowd was there waiting for him. As the disciples looked out into the crowd, they saw that these people had come from near and far just to see Jesus, and that many of these people were sick, suffering, even afflicted by demons. As Jesus looked out into the crowd, he saw their faith, and he began to walk through the crowds. The people stretched out their hands to touch them, and as they touched Jesus, power went out from Jesus, healing the people in the crowd. You can imagine the amazing scene, arms and hands reaching out for Jesus, touching Jesus, the shock and the realization that they've been healed, 
the joy and relief, the tears of happiness, knowing that their pain is gone, and the chaos as everyone else presses in to try to touch Jesus also. For the, for the disciples, this was a special moment. They had seen Jesus heal and perform miracles before, but not quite on this scale. And they must have thought to themselves, so this is what Jesus and his kingdom is all about. They must have started to dream about what would happen next. What would Jesus do to establish his kingdom? What might Jesus possibly do next? How might Jesus establish his power? And what might Jesus do for them? If Jesus was willing to heal these crowds of strangers, what would Jesus do for his 12 personal followers, his best friends? What blessings and what transformation might await for them in the future? What might Jesus do for them? And as Christians, we understand Jesus' power too. We understand Jesus can heal and perform miraculous signs. We see him feeding the 5,000, calming the storm and the sea. But we also understand that Jesus loves all people. He takes care of everyone, unbelievers and believers alike. He causes the sun to shine and the rain to come down on the unrighteous and the righteous. But as Christians, we are God's special people. He's our God. He's on our side. And we might begin to wonder, what can Jesus do for us? What sort of problems can he fix in our lives? How might he transform and change our lives for the better as well? And God does want to bless us. He tells us that he does watch over us. He tells us that we are his special people. He's on our side. But with the words he speaks next, Jesus makes it clear that the transformation that his kingdom brings isn't what we would expect, and the blessings that come with his kingdom aren't necessarily what we would call blessings. As the disciples were watching the miracles unfold, Jesus looked up at them, and with the words he spoke, he made it clear that the blessings that he would be bringing would really look more like curses. He said, Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who are rejected and reviled. And he goes further. Cursed. Cursed are the rich. Cursed are the satisfied. Cursed are those who are spoken well of. Those who laugh. And the words of Jesus sound strange to us because everything is flipped we would expect the rich to be blessed, not the poor. But it's the hungry who are blessed, not the satisfied. Everything is upside down. And these words might even make us uncomfortable as well. Because we know that in the grand scheme of history, in the grand scheme of the world, we are among the richest people to ever live. We live in a country where very few people go hungry. We look at our own lives and we see that God has filled our lives with happiness, with joy, with friends and family. And we begin to feel that Jesus' words are pointed right at us. But Jesus isn't here to shame you for taking satisfaction, for having money, for having friends and family. After all, all of these things are blessings, good things, gifts that God gives us. But with these words, Jesus exposes our hearts. And he asks you where your priorities really lie. He asks you, what are you living for? So what are you living for? Are you living for what the world lives for? We know what the world lives for. We know what the world values. 
health, wealth, popularity, success, achievement, love, fulfillment, more money, more comfort, better health, better life, more friends, more love, more status, more respect. The world chases all of these things in the name of living your best life and reaching your full potential. And yet Jesus takes all of these things and he calls them cursed. Woe to the rich, woe to the satisfied, woe to those who laugh. And he tells us why. See, everything the world gives us is beautiful and wonderful and great, but it's all only temporary. It's only here for a moment, for a time, and then it's gone forever. We may have financial wealth and security today, but what happens tomorrow when unforeseen bills or medical expenses eat up what we've saved? We may feel love and happiness today, but what happens tomorrow when our homes become empty nests and the person that we love is taken away from us? We may have popularity and satisfaction today, but what happens tomorrow when we fail, when we fall, when people forget about us and our memories are wiped away? Our lives are so fragile, so brief, so fleeting. We may be the happiest, the most, sex, the most successful, the wealthiest people in the world today, but if today is all we have, then our lives are really empty and hollow and tragic. And Jesus is right. Our lives are sad and cursed. But if you're looking for a good life, if you're looking for a truly blessed life, there is a way. And it starts by seeing just what we lack. It starts by recognizing that the best that the world has to offer us is just not enough. We need something more. We need something that lasts, something that doesn't die like everything else in this world. When we see what we lack, that's when we search for what we need. When we recognize just how poor this world is, that's when we search for lasting riches. When we realize just how unsatisfying this life can be, we look for eternal satisfaction. When we realize just how sad it is to weep and to mourn here on earth, that's when we look for eternal gladness. When we recognize that this world is cursed and broken, that's when we look for true blessings. And the path of blessings and the path of life, we find it in the cursed life of Jesus the life and the death of his for you and for me. By every worldly standard, Jesus lived a cursed life. He was rejected at his hometown. Nobody wanted him. He wandered from place to place without a place to call his home. He was betrayed and abandoned by his disciples and his friends, and he died the death of a nameless, worthless criminal. And yet, in this life and death, this cursed life and death of Jesus, God opens the floodgates of heaven for you. He pours out blessing after blessing, the promise of eternal pleasures and eternal riches in heaven with him. And of course, we know that Jesus' life didn't end in a curse. It ended with a blessing. Three days after his death, God raised him from the dead as a guarantee, as a promise that the same awaits for you. This life is not all there is. There is more. And that's the beautiful yet upside-down message of the gospel. It's the message that we're blessed not because of what happens here in this life, 
but because of what comes next in the life to come. It's the message that no matter how hard, how tragic, how dark our lives here on earth become, even when we have nothing, we have everything because we have Jesus. And that's why Jesus calls us blessed. That's why he says that we have a good life. Not because we know what's going to happen today or tomorrow, but because we know how our stories will end. It reminds me of those six words that we know so well from our childhood. And they lived happily ever after. When you open a children's book, a fairy tale, you know that no matter how dark, how terrible, how crazy the story is, when you get to that final page, you know how all things will end. It'll be good and right the way it was meant to be. And that's the promise, that's the comfort that God extends to you and to me. That even if today or tomorrow things are difficult, things are hard, even if we lose things and in the world's eyes we become cursed, it's the message that you know how your story ends. It ends in heaven with Jesus happily ever after. That's what it means to be blessed. Amen.